and this is The Knowledge, a place to consider big and emerging ideas for anyone obsessed with learning more and living better. Each week, I'll share what I'm learning and speak to a variety of guests to hear what they've learned about navigating the world around us. This is the second part of an incredible conversation with poet and author JJ Bowler. Continuing from last week, we are talking about the impacts of stereotypes on black masculinity and the consequences of colonialism on cultural pride in ethnic communities. If you didn't listen to the first part, go back and watch it either now or later on. You don't want to miss it. If you love this episode, please do share it with a friend and don't forget to leave a review. You'll probably also love my amazing newsletter I send out every Sunday at theknowledge.substack.com. How do we come out of this stage then? Because I know going back to what you were saying about how we have these ideals, right? We have these ideals of maybe, whether it's sex is involved or whether relationships are involved, but also money. And then you were talking Mm -hmm. about capitalism and we were looking at Kanye and how when he's younger Kanye, he's talking about, oh, he wants to get this so that he can do this and he can have this impact in his community, all of these Mm -hmm. positive externalities that can happen. And then he gets there. And when I say he gets there, he was at the top of everything. And Mm -hmm. none of these things come about. And he almost becomes a replica of everything else that we've seen. And so mm. when you talk about even how we use the N-word in, as an example and how we reclaim our power and how we can reclaim our agency as something separate from what is coming top down from society and what whether it's the hypersexualization mm. of black men or whether it's expectations that are put on us, like how do we reclaim agency mm-hmm. from that? And then when we were talking about future just now as well, I'm also thinking about how like you say, to an extent, how much of this is just us acting out the roles that have been given us, given to us and us acting out what Mm. we've been told, this is what masculinity should look like. This is what you as a black man, Mm -hmm. this is what you should be doing or having, and this is what you should be Mm -hmm. acting out. And so people look to act out those Mm -hmm. things. And then even when you were Mm -hmm. talking about representation, I was also thinking about how it's not like those people don't exist. You know, there are black men that are going out and just living their lives right. and doing all of those things and living very different lives, but attention is not born. Mm-hmm. And and that is a mixture of things. One, right. it might not be from media mm-hmm. where if it, it's not profitable to show those other kind of examples. But I also mm-hmm. wonder, even on a societal level, because I see these discussions happen on Twitter where, you know, the, it's us chastising Russell Wilson. It's not anybody else. It's not the media telling us to hate him. This Outside is what I'm of saying. community on black Twitter, I don't even think people understand that there's this dichotomy here. Like it's us that are saying, yeah. oh, this is not good. We only care about this. If you want to have a conversation about that, we don't care. We only want to talk about this. Let's talk about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so how, how do we get out of this cycle? Because it does seem like a cycle because wow. like it's something that we are definitely reinforcing. And then we will complain when other people from other demographics see us doing those things and then they copy it. But really, I mean, right. and, and then because they copy it and they show it to us, then we have to keep acting out those same things. Right. Bro, 
man. See, it, like in sociological theory, there's a thing called self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm sure like you're aware of it. And but not a lot of people are kind of thing. But it's like whatever representation. Firstly, if a group of people aren't representing represented or don't get to see themselves, that creates also links of like psychological low self-esteem or kind of um, it shapes negatively shapes our worldview and so we know that lack of representation as black people can negatively impact us along as the fact uh, as uh, 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 alongside the fact that we are you know perpetrated um and stigmatized according to like systemic racism right and so if you look at that, but then also self-fulfilling prophecy in that if you give someone a stereotype image of themselves and you continue to bombard it, eventually either that person or a core group of those people will start to behave in the way that replicates that. And so I think one of the things that happens with us as a community is we are too focused on the here and now. We're too focused on what we're experiencing at this present time rather than it being a continuation of X, Y, Z, right? And so what we're living through is a continuation of the legacies of slavery and colonialism. This sexualization and this materialism has been something that has been stigmatized upon us, but has been going on for the past 500 years. And so that future, the, the dichotomy of like future versus Russell Wilson you know, there were other dichotomies back in the day and so forth that represented those symbols, right? Like, if you look at, you know, the 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 80s and so forth and some of the, like, some, like, if you look at who was being put in the mainstream or who represented our communities in the 80s, right? Alongside the black exploitation type of displays, you know, that was what was going on in the mainstream media representation. But in our communities, people were looking more so or trying to look more so to the likes of like Muhammad Ali and, and Malcolm X, et cetera, or like the Thomas Ankara's, if we're going to focus it on our communities back home and stuff, the Patrice Lumumba's, et cetera, to give those community examples. All right, we're in the mainstream, they're not showing us the way that we are. We're not going to listen to them. We're not going to invest in them. But let's focus on our own. And I think now more than ever, are our black culture see it's really interesting right because in the 80s 90s etc our black culture was systemically like essentially exiled or blocked from being represented in the mainstream mm-hmm. imagine michael jackson's like his his videos had like they there had to be a campaign for him to be shown on mtv like they would not show it because of his race now, black culture forms such a foundation of mainstream entertainment that we are like deeply embedded in. And so it's like, but we have no control over what kind of representation really, you know. So we're continuously begging to be shown a certain way and begging to be invested, but then we're also doubling down on these forms of like stigma that essentially fuels this whole self-fulfilling prophecy, right? That essentially touches into uh, like the basic carnal desires of like capitalism and materialism and stuff. And it shows that materialism as entertainment and the everyday life that we all live as boring. 
right? And we're just constantly trying to escape it. Mm. And so I think a lot of people, we have to really like be educated and question ourselves in terms of like, okay, the representation that I'm seeing and that I want, like, what is it? You know, what am I actually putting out there? Um, and I say this in terms of men as well. Like, you know, what what do I want in terms of like how I represent myself and the way that I behave in my community, but also the kind of women that I'm interested in. So Jasmine Sullivan, bad artist, right? And I'm making a lot of American references here because we don't realize the extent to which American cultural imperialism influences us, like shapes us. Do you know what I mean? Even as a black mm. community here in the UK, and obviously we have a lot more diverse influences, Nigeria, the Caribbean, Nigeria and West Africa and you know, Central Africa and the Caribbean and so forth. But overwhelmingly, like, you know, we don't talk about how much Black America influences us. And so, like, Jasmine Sullivan, she's got a new song um, out, and it's, um, she talks about in that song about no longer wanting to be a good girl because she sees all the strippers are winning and all of this kind of stuff and whatever. And this whole good girl stripper dichotomy and stuff. And, I, and if you look at that and you combine that with... Um, you know, the rising rates of, like, BBL, plastic surgery, even though there's, like, serious health risks towards it, right? Yeah. All of these things are actually things that are fueling and reinforcing certain stigmas, stigmas and stereotypes that are legacies of colonialism. You know, Sarah Bartman of, of, of South Africa being paraded around Europe for her uh, her backside essentially, and now two, three, four generations later, mm. we are having surgeries on ourselves. You know, Mandingo being paraded around for his giant penis. Yeah. Now you're you're seeing young black men who essentially parade uh, like we, a lot of young black men parade themselves around. You know, look at the in terms of like either with his sleeping around mm. the sexualization or self sexualization. But the difference is is that for young black men, that's seen as living up to being masculine. And so that's why we almost yeah. like reinforce it, you know? And so for, for me, I always say like, okay, like what are we reinforcing? Like whatever we buy into, is it what the system has placed on us or is it our own actual like cultures and our own actual, you know, beliefs and so forth? And I find that like for a lot of the time when I'm having these conversations about, with people about their choices and about self-determination, a lot of the times, like that nuance of conversation of, of knowing that, oh, but did you know this is this ties into like a historical representation of the way that like we were subjugated against for a long time. A lot of people don't don't know that. You know, and so if you're looking at it now from the outside in, and I'm not saying I do stuff to like I don't care what other races think of us. You know, like you've not liked us for five hundred yeah. years. Like I, I don't think if you don't like us for five hundred years, you're probably not going to like us in my lifetime. Like that's not my responsibility. You know what I mean? Um, but I think it's very interesting that when we have the opportunity to look outside in and we have a mirror held up to us, that discomfort becomes a lot more real. You know. And I, I don't know, it's, 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 it's something, it's a real conversation that we need to have amongst ourselves, but places like Twitter seems to be the only platform for it. 
and there's just not enough nuance. Like it's about popular voices, it's about retweets, it's about you know hashtags, and not really, not really about mm-hmm. listening. It's about the person who can get the best, you know, the best catchy response and make the other person look silly, not actually like learn from each other and grow together and so forth. And I've been on Twitter for ten years, bro. Like ten years from my twenties, now I'm in my thirties. Bro, I'm tired. <laughs> like I'm still seeing people talking about wars. What it is, bro? You're 21 now. You're 30. Yeah, now. it's the same conversation. It's the same conversation. <laughs> How? How? Mm. And then you know what humbles me? I say, I say it to myself every time I think about you know because it's like shallow entertainment in it. Every time I think about joining these you know, in these debates more and more, I think, what was my dad doing at my age? And I, and I humble myself, look, I just get back to the work that I need to be doing, boy. Do you know what I mean? Because when my dad was my age, yeah. he was moving across continents, trying to build a future for, a better future for his children and provide, you know? Like, and I'm able to do what I do now because he was making that sacrifice. So I'm like, yo, but what am I doing? Because this arguing stuff online, we, the past 10 years, this is what we've been doing and no one's gotten anywhere. No one's listening to each other more. Do you know what I mean? We mm-hmm. haven't, there hasn't been a, an agreed consensus. People are still arguing and doing the same thing. So what kind of progress are we really yeah. trying to make? And I don't think we get the chance to really have that self-critique and self-analysis and be like, actually, let's hold up a, a mirror to ourselves as individuals, but also as a community and say that this is what we need to do better rather than waiting for some outside person to come in and then and then and then get angry when they say something because you know what I'm not going to lie to you bro I I say hey you know what yeah I should stop apologizing because one thing you should know is like if you get a writer we'll tell <laughs> mad stories in it we got mad stories there so I'll tell this nah, one story, like, stories <laughs> I'll tell this one story yeah then yeah, this is like uh, on Fam, I was about 15 years old when this happened. And I was like, I will never let a white man tell me about my culture ever again. <laughs> Fam. So um, this is, yeah, I was I was a teenager. And so uh, my, so Congo, my country Congo had changed the name from Zaire to uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, right? I didn't know. I wasn't politically aware. And we was just like, this is just like, like the basketball courts or whatever. We'd hang out, there'll be people, we'll talk, whatever. There was this white guy there, some conversation came into politics, whatever, whatever. And then he's like, Carl, where are you from? And, I, and everyone was there, like, and he's like, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm from Zaire. And he's like, Zaire, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah. I, I was like, yeah, I'm from Zaire. He's like, Zaire, are you sure? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, are you sure? And, Zaire. and I said, and then he basically, educated me and said, no, it's the Democratic Republic of Congo. Like, you know, when was your Independence Day? I didn't know. Political leaders, I didn't know. This guy was telling me better stuff from Ben. I was like, ha! Fam, I, <laughs> nah. That hit me hard, you know? And I thought, hmm. Mm. That was a real wake-up call. Do you know what I mean? Because you can't call yourself liberated. You can't be self-determined. You can't be a free people if someone else knows you and your history and your culture more than you do. And if you know more about someone mm. else's culture and history, then you know about your own culture and your own history. Do you know what I mean? And that day humbled me. I was like, never again. Fool me once. Premier Gao, innit? You know that Premier Gao song, yeah? It's fool me once. <laughs> Shame on you. Yeah. 
fool me twice, shame on me. So that was the one time that that happened. I'm never allowed that to happen again. You know, and I think we have to have a wake up call as a community mm. and be like, okay, so, you know, slavery and color, I say slavery and colonialism was for me once, right? Cool. All right. We got got. Like, that's history. We can't change that. What are we doing now to avoid the fool me twice? And if you look at what's happening, we're kind of walking into the whole fool me twice situation, really. So, yeah, you know, it's on us. Yeah. Right? But yeah, that's just that high pop You said up, so man. much, man. I think. <laughs> no, I love it. I think people are going to get so much from from this. And I still have questions. I'm going to let you go soon because I know I've kept to you long no, enough. Good, but two fun. questions that I did have. And I wonder. So one is, okay, from what you were just saying, and then also going back to what we were talking about in terms of the masculinity, but also like just relationship stuff in general. Okay. Just from what you were saying now, I wonder how much um, this colonialism thing also has to play in that we need to understand our history. Mm -hmm. Part of the issue, I think, in the UK is, one, in the present, I know, and two, is in the past. In the present, what do you learn about black history in in the UK? We're learning about Martin Luther King. That's not even Mm -hmm. our history. All the stuff that happened in the 80s, in the UK, all the stuff that happened in the 70s in the UK, Windrush, all of these things happen right here and you don't really know about them until literally when you're in university and you actually have to start having conversations with people and you hear this stuff from this person's auntie and then you hear this stuff from this person over here and you're piecing it together because you're not taught any of that. Um, and so one is like, how do we have those discussions now based in, based on the fact that we're not given much of this education? But then also when we look back, mm so much of our history and culture has been destroyed and is continue, continually eroded. As an example, I'm Ibu. Mm-hmm. Do I even speak Ibu? As much as I was talking about Biafra and this mm-hmm. and that, how much of my own language can I mm-hmm. speak? But obviously part of that, the reason mm-hmm. I've always spoken English, even in the village in Nigeria, whether it's in Lagos, whether it's in the UK, is because of colonialism. Mm-hmm. And it's a really mm-hmm. interesting thing when even for Africans, there's a lot that's being forgotten of what happened in the past. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because maybe we've lost Mm -hmm. libraries, we've lost cultural heritage. You have Ghana, you have a lot of African countries that are still trying to get their artifacts and important, like not just religious, but cultural heritage that's now being stored in France, that's now being stored in the UK, that's being stored Mm -hmm. in Belgium. Um, Mm -hmm. So how do we understand ourselves better historically, but then also understand ourselves in a more contemporary way when I guess we don't have enough of these discussions because they're not sparked at an early age? I think the first thing is for us to understand that representation can't be the end goal. Do you know what I mean? Like us wanting to be represented and educate or taught our history in the same institutions that oppress us, right, just doesn't make sense. Like, it, it, it doesn't make sense. There have been, like, countless studies that shows that the more racial pride that someone has, the more pride that a, a person has in, in terms of, like, their history and their cultural identity and so forth, the less likely they are to be oppressed. They've done numerous studies of that, particularly in Congo during um, the times of like colonial oppression, there were 
there was essentially mandates that were like, if anyone believes that traditional ancestral beliefs, like kill them off. Because people who believed their traditional ancestral beliefs were more resistant con- to condolism than those who um, converted to Catholicism, right? And so the people who mm. educate you, like who oppress you, can't be the same people who educate you. It, it, it's incongruent. It just doesn't make sense. Do you know what I mean? Why would you, why would you expect your abuser to help you with your homework? Like it, it, and then to help you get good grades. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And so I think at some point we as a community have to have a reckoning when it comes to this thing about representation and education and so forth and see it as a strategy rather than the end goal. But the primary step strategy has to be that we have to educate ourselves. We have to educate ourselves in our homes. We have to educate ourselves in our communities, in our families and so forth and in our personal lives and to actually be proud of that. And I say that to, to say this and like, okay, so what does that look like? I could look like speaking your own languages. Do you know what I mean? So even like, so, you know, it's very good that you said that with, with you know, the fact that you're of Ibo descent, but you don't speak speak Ibo. Like, okay, I'm going I'm to challenge you, learn some words. Do you know what I mean? This time next year, learn, mm-hmm. it's like there's more resources. There's a lot of people in our community who are putting resources together for us to be able to do that, that didn't exist, you know? And so it's like, okay, what can we do in our day-to-day, in our bit by bit? Because a lot of African languages are dying out. You know, we live in an ever more global, and when I say global, I mean white supremacist and imperialist society, that if we're not careful, the more we buy into this, the more erasure that is going to be of this. But we live in a time when we're able to self-determine using things like the internet more than ever and to connect with each other more than ever, but we're actually using it almost like to form new hierarchies that we exclude each other in different ways. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm looking, I'm seeing like black Americans and black British people, our first opportunity to really be able to connect and understand and learn from each other. We're beefing about like who can act in who. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like yeah. Malcolm X came from, you know, came from came from Harlem all the way to Smethwick. Bruv, I've never even been to Smethwick. Do you know what I mean? Here in the UK or Birmingham ends like. And was like, nah, we got to come together as a people. Here we are 50, 60, 70 years later, right? And we're beefing in that way. So actually, we got to look at ourselves and say like, okay, so what are we doing to educate ourselves? And I like to, you know, other cultures are really interesting because if you look at Japanese culture, if you look at Chinese culture, the way that they've been able to, and obviously it's different historical legacies, absolutely, I understand that. But the way that they've been able to maintain their cultural heritage and their historical heritage, but also come into modernity has been really, really interesting. And so I say, like, in terms of, like, African culture, like, you know, obviously it's very diverse, but what are we doing to preserve ourselves? What do we put out there that is actually sacred? When I see stuff like, you know, memes... You know when people do the Hotep memes and they put the little ken- uh, kente hats on someone and it becomes a... And I get, like... I, you know, I have a sense of humour, bruv. Like, I get it. Do you know what I mean? I sometimes find it funny too. Like, I'm not going to be a hypocrite, you know? But then I think about it. Now, yeah. kente is a sacred cloth. Like, it's ancestral. It's traditional, you know? 
Like, that's not supposed to be happening. You know what I mean? Especially when you engage with it more in that way than you do in a traditional sacred way. What are your ancestors saying? You know, so every day, and I was reading, like, uh, there's a writer called Patrice Maladoma Somme who's from Burkina Faso, and he writes a lot about kind of, like, ancient tradition and spirituality and stuff. And he says this um, kind of concept or philosophy in terms of, like, how to liberate yourself from, you know, the shackles of white supremacy, right, is to imagine you're sitting in a round table of, like, of 12 answers, 12 of your ancestors, yeah? So that could be your grandparents, anyone who's passed could be your grandparents, anyone in your own lineage, or anyone who you just look up to, right? So it could be from my grandparents to to Malcolm X, for example, or whoever it is, yeah? And imagine that, you know, when you're having these moments of, like, perhaps meditation or reflection, imagine that you're sat in front of them. Like, can you justify your behaviours and the things that you do, the things that you say in front of them? Like, that's the judgment. Do you know what I mean? That's the kind of, like, respect and reverence that we should be having in terms of, like, our own growth and our own development. Because we wouldn't be there, we wouldn't be here were not for them. Like, people talk about what we're going through now. I say, bruv, we're not going through nothing. We'll be right back after this break. Like, we're actually so good. We don't realise, yes, there yeah. is, like, I, there's a lot going on. But we're so good. Our parents couldn't walk down the street. Like, do you know what I mean? It's it's different. Mm. It's different. What our parents are, like, my yeah, grand, my, I feel like, if anything, what's frustrating... I was just going to say, I feel like mm. if anything, what's frustrating for us now is how close we are to actually being equal. It's like, we're this close, but we're still not there. <sighs> Whereas before yeah. it was like, we, you're not even thinking about being close. Ooh, we are so close. So close. My my father, the person who brought, you know, who was half responsible for bringing me into this world, was born under colonialism. Like he was colonized. Do you know, like, for me, that's mad. I think about my own childhood, it's like, raw. like, imagine being born and you're colonised. Like, and what am I complaining about? Like, what am I thinking is impossible? You know? Like, my my grandmother was born enslaved, basically. Do you know what I mean? Like, and we talk about this as if, and this is the thing, right? It's really interesting because we talk about slavery in terms of the diasporas, but you don't talk about slavery on the continent. Like, there were mad plantations, like, on the continent. Like, in Congo as well, it wasn't cotton, but it was rubber. But if my ancestors were picking rubber, like, do you know what I mean? And these are the legacies that we're carrying. So if I'm here now, and I'm looking, and these people persevered for me to be alive and doing what I'm doing now, like, when we say stuff like, look at the language around it, I am not my ancestors. Do you know what I mean? And I'm like, what do you think that means? Mm. You know? I've never heard that from any other cultural group. Even these men whose ancestors were colonizers, they should be embarrassed to have them. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? They don't say that. <laughs> yeah. Like, you should be embarrassed that mm. your, your ancestor was a genocidal maniac. Like, but they're not embarrassed. Do you know what I mean? But we say stuff like, oh, I'm not my ancestors. I, 
you know, I will do. And I'm like, what do you think that means? And for me, it's like, hold on, I'm not my ancestors. Yeah, like, I'm shook, bruv. My ancestors could fight. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, they would, you know? Like, and so it's, yeah. So I really think we have to reframe the relationship of how we see ourselves, how we see our Black identities, and how we see our ancestral lineage as well. And I think the most powerful thing that we can do, I say, like, as Black people, is connect with our ancestral lineage, connect with our histories, connect with our culture. That's the pathway to liberation. Like, I feel like everything else has been tried and tested, you know, and I think that the further that we get along, we can talk about, you know, representation in, in, um, in society, but as long as this society remains white supremacist and imperialistic, which it is, like, it's not going to liberate us. But the more we are traditionally tied to our ancestral values, the more that we'll be able to overcome the system. Do you know what I mean? Because I feel like our, a lot of our ancestral cultures already talked about the things that we're, you know, obviously the positive things, but the things that we're aspiring to achieve. So, yeah, it's like, how do you get to, this is the thing, it's like, how do you get people to see the value in that without it being reinforced in the mainstream? So it took, so look at what happened with Black Panther and the Black Panther effect, right? People, see, this is the thing. One minute it was like, oh, Kente is our meme, 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 all of this, you know, Hotep. Black Panther comes out, oh my gosh, I'm going to wear my Kente to the cinema. Do you see, like, (laughs) do you see the shift, right? So it's like, how do we now have that shift without it being dependent on what's being shown on the mainstream? How do I have reverence for my ancestral traditions and culture and actually show up proud of that without it being something that depends on a movie or some kind of pop pop sensation. And a quick story time, right? So one of the things that made me think, you know what? i got to be proud of who I am. I went to a basketball camp. Tell you a quick story. I went to a basketball camp when how old was I? I was a teenager. I can't remember how old, man. I'm old now. My, my brain hurts, man. But yeah, I was a teenager, bro, yeah? <laughs> went to a basketball camp um, one summer when... My mom had just come back from Congo and she bought me this kind of like traditional Congolese kind of like top and bottom matching sets. Yeah. So I had taken it to the camp with me. And obviously we were playing basketball all week, whatever, whatever. And we had like a little opportunity in the evenings to go to the mall, to hang out, whatever. And one time all the guys were hanging out in the hotel room. And then um, everyone came into my room, right? And my suitcase was there. One of my friends went through my suitcase and was like, pulled this out. And then he's like, hey, hey, Jay, what's this, man? And he's like, right. Everyone was, I got roasted. And I, you know, I, I got a sense of humor. Like, I laughed. It was yeah. like, oh, it's Kunta Kinte, right? Kunta Kinte plays basketball. Put it, bro. I'm not going to lie, bro. <laughs> yeah. I was, I, it was funny, but I was being roasted, but I was pissed, mm. right? Because I was thinking in my head, oh, man. Yeah. But like, I was like, yo, that's a fly top. Like, I want to wear it. But everyone's cussing me. Oh, look. You are sending back on the boat. Kunta Kunta playing basketball. All of this kind of stuff. But I still rocked it. I was like, no, you know what? I rocked it. I don't care. Like, now fast forward five, ten years later, you know, guys are coming out. Oh, where you get your tops from? Where you, the, the, you know you know what I mean? I, I like your style, man. Yeah. All of this kind of stuff. Mm. And I'm like, hmm. So nothing's changed. But the, but your perception, do you know what I mean? And so if you bend your, if you abandon your culture, like I could have taken that experience 
and then being like, you know what? It's embarrassing. I'm going to throw this away. Like, it gets mocked now. But having that sense of pride and being very lucky to have the parents that I had or grow up in the community that I grew up in and so forth, because a lot of this stuff, like, you got to thank the conscious community because a lot of the stuff that we're talking about now has been present in that community for a long time. Obviously, there's still issues regardless, but I feel like having that cultural pride is so important, right? And then, like, so I took that with me and was like, no, I'm going to be proud of who I am. Now, imagine, yeah, like, you look at, like, Chinese culture or Japanese culture or Indian culture, etc., with the saris or even, like, you know, Arab culture and their specific dressings. Like, we go to Dubai and we wear their cloth, innit? And I, th- I don't... I don't say that as a bad thing. Like, I'll do the same. It's reverence. Like, it's respecting someone's culture. Yeah. But then we don't do that for our own culture, you know? Mm. And so I always think, like, uh, like, what are we really not just saying and discussing when it comes to blackness and black identity, but what are we really living? You know, what pride do we have in ourselves that doesn't depend on what representation there is in the movies or in our celebrity sphere or entertainment sphere? Like what kind of pride and, and, and cultural reference are we showing for ourselves in our personal lives and in our homes? And I mean, yeah, I think it's is a big question mark right now, isn't it? Like, yeah. That's something people need to go out, go off and, and look for like people need to go off and start thinking about their own roots and and, and where they're from and, and what they can connect to because i, I understand mm-hmm. obviously a lot of people don't necessarily have strong cultural ties to you know wherever they may descend from personally mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i think this also ties mm-hmm. to what you were saying in terms of you know a lot of the, the, con- the names of these countries are all colonial concepts like these are all things that were made up within mm-hmm. the last half a century Nigeria is only how old, mm-hmm. you know, the same with Congo, a lot of these mm-hmm. countries, Congo, uh, Zimbabwe, they've yeah. even changed names. And so, so much of this uh, pride or nationalism that we might even feel is false. And it's something that, okay, so I'm on another exactly. podcast called Travel and Turn Up. And we talk about, um, you know, one thing that I find so interesting is looking at West Africa as an example. The way that the tribes go mm-hmm. in terms of people, Yoruba people, go like this. Fulani people go like this. You there's that there, you find those groups of people from Ghana, Togo, mm. Benin, Nigeria, and even across. And then mm-hmm. you find more Fulani mm-hmm. people uh, mm-hmm. elsewhere in Africa. The same with Swahili people. But mm. when they drew the map, they're drawing it this mm. way. The people are going this way, vertically, exactly. I mean horizontally. They're drawing exactly. the map vertically. And so you're yeah. actually splitting the same yeah. groups of people into like four different countries. And I think that's a, part, a huge part mm-hmm. of the reason why as soon as you have independence, there's people fighting for dominance there's, because you've just separated people into lots of different groups that make absolutely no sense. These people had never been unified exactly. before. They, they were their own tribe. And now you've told them, mm-hmm. okay, all of you that we've drawn this box, this is one country. You guys have to fight together. You have to be nationalistic. Your GDP is going to be drawn like this. Right. That's how we're going to define you. And if you guys don't get it mm-hmm. together and, and believe what we've just told you, now you're going to be in poverty. And now you're going to be borrowing money right. from us. And, and the legacy of so much of what has happened since then simply just comes from mm. people just telling you, this is this is your home now. This is what life looks like now. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I and I also think like this is why I'm not too tied in, um, in terms of like national borders and stuff. And I'm talking specifically in the African context because a lot of our ancestors migrated, right? And what's happening is, especially like the 23andMe and the, and the DNA tests and so forth, it's revealing that people who are, uh, you know, who thought they were proudly of a particular nation, <laughs> like, realize that, oh, mm. actually, my, my lineage is not quite there. Like, you know, and so, like, my surname's Bola, right? Or Bola. Um, a lot of people assume that I'm Nigerian because it's a common Nigerian surname. And what I learned was that, yeah. um, because I, you know, I used to get that question all the time and I was like, I actually need to look into this. And I looked into it around, so the the history is um, that around the 15th century, when the Portuguese first, um, you know, enslaved the Kingdom of Congo, there was a lot of migration of the kind of what region is now known as like Northern Congo, um, of migration of people out, upwards, Towards central and further and northern Africa, and leftwards towards um, West Africa and Nigeria as well, and some parts where people settled specifically, so like the Ibo lands and Yoruba lands and so forth, and 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 there's lots of like linguistic similarities. There's a linguist, African linguist called Kwesi Pra, who ties in African ethnicities and linguistics ling- uh, and their linguistic mm. associations rather than looking at national boundaries. And so people, you know, you might find that, yeah, you're proudly Nigerian, but actually two centuries ago, you were Central African, Congolese. Like, do you know what I mean? Or you might be proudly Senegalese, but, you know, a century ago, you were from Chad, or you were from Uganda, or you were from South Sudan, you know? And this is the thing, it's like, this is why for me, ultimately, like, the goal is pan-Africanism. And I mean that in terms of, like, not just the continent, but also, like, the global diaspora. Like, as black people, what are we doing to unify ourselves? Because wherever we go, like, for me, it's wherever we go, I see a part of myself. You know, I've been lucky to travel to many different black communities around the world. And I say to you, when I was in Harlem, and I saw no one but black people. This was pre-gentrification. I just saw black people. I was like, yo, this could be Kinshasa. Right? Do you know what I mean? When I was in Lagos and I was like, this mm. could be Kinshasa. Like I was in Burkina Faso. Like it's, you know, not to make black people a monolith, but I'm saying like, I see myself in my people. You know, I have that pride of my people wherever I go. And I can blend in in terms of the cultures and still feel proud that this culture has existed rather than making it a sense of like exclusivity thing you know and so mm. yeah i think we need to like work on having that connection and and bringing back those values you know and that's why like i really rate like how I things think, used to be i think we need to mm. kind of go back into that yeah and the last thing i'll say is also having pride in that mm. and pride in the fact that may- maybe you're not from where you thought you were from and that can be a good thing because I find it so interesting how as African or Afro-descendant people, mm. we feel like we have to be from the place that we were from and that's it. Mm. Whereas mm. you see how happy English people get when they find out that their grandfather was one-eighth Italian. 
right. or they have a little bit of Spanish somewhere here back in the right. day, or they have a little bit of this, you know, their grand auntie was Japanese. And so I, I find it interesting how, you know, other people are allowed to, mm. or, or, you know, they, they don't, as much as they might love their country and they feel this strong nationalistic pride, they also mm. allow themselves on an identity level to find affinity in other cultures. And so mm. suddenly you have these people, I think even America is a great example of this, where people are historically Italian American. They've never been to Italy. Right. You know, there's not there's no right. there's nothing like right now that's tying you there. But yeah, you're yeah, gonna yeah. learn some Italian. You're gonna learn about this culture. You're gonna embrace it in a, in a very different way, and I think that's something mm -hmm. I would love to see more within our community as well. Yeah. Maybe not just even from Africa, but I guess Pan African as well. And looking around the diaspora and looking at yeah, what yeah, yeah. we can embrace about each other and looking at how we can find a collective identity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it's slowly starting to happen, you know. But like. We're coming from a place of where formerly it was the previous, it was always the opposite, right? In the sense that, you know, in a lot of our communities, if you had a non-white person <laughs> in your ancestry somewhere, it's like, what? I'm 5% European. Oh my gosh. And people suddenly start calling themselves mixed. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, or we will, you know, we'll have like <laughs> one Native American um, great grandparent. You know, and they'll be like, "Oh, yes, I'm also this," and I'm like, mm. "You know, you're yeah. almost, you're, you're. It's like you're, it, and it's anti-blackness, right? You're trying to remove yourself from your blackness in the same way that a white person would mm. try to claim another white ethnicity to, you know, kind of mix themselves up a little bit. But I think that so many good things are happening, but they're just not." really being spoken about and if we look at like Ghana for instance and the year of return and and how that kind of made the so many young black diaspora basically look at going home been home reconnecting with the cultures like we really need to open up because I think what I think that could be a massive change but then you're going to find that a lot of people are going to feel left behind because there's going to be people who are further on the outside who are going to come back who are going to learn your languages, even, uh, I'm saying even non-black people, like white people, whatever. I'm seeing Tunisians, I'm seeing Lebanese who are going, I'm seeing Chinese who are going back to Congo, right? Learning Lingala, setting up businesses and then selling back to me. Yeah. Fam, sorry, man. Why, like, <laughs> if they can learn Lingala, I yeah. can, like, do you know what I mean? Just to make money. They're doing it just mm. to make money. But I'm thinking about this is my cultural pride, this is my ancestral pride, this is my heritage, and like, and I'm embarrassed about it. Do you, you know? Like, there's a lot of psychological yeah. reframing that we need to do. You know, white supremacy did a uh, a monster on us. Like, it, it did a number on us. You know, it's a very efficient system. Like, I can't even hate. Like, it's mad. I genuinely can't even hate. Like, as a system of oppression, fuck you know. Like, it works perfectly. You know, how do you get to hate, making people hate themselves <laughs> yeah. so much, right, that you can leave mm. the room and they continue to hate themselves? You know, like it's insane. Like some of the biggest, some of the places in the world where white supremacy is so deeply entrenched is in the places where there's absolutely no white people. 
Like, yeah. Congo is one of the darkest places. So, like, South Sudan is one of the do- people that has the darkest skin. But you know what? White supremacy is rife. Why am I in my, in my own country and people are embarrassed to speak their own languages? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, or you get looked down upon if you wear your own cultural costume or your own cost, co- cultural attire. But if you wear a suit or a shirt, then, you know. I'm seeing people in Congo, and I'm speaking specifically of Congolese community here, who will turn up to weddings in a sari. Like, how does that make sense? Like, are they wearing kitambalas in India? I don't think so. I've been to India. I've not seen anyone yeah. in Congolese attire in India. I've not, I'm, I've not seen it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I think we really have to ask That's ourselves. True. And in, it's, it's interesting how... Mm. Mm. Oh, so I, I was just going to say, it's interesting how our legacy is so different. Because yeah. Indian people lived through colonialism. Like, even between Japan and China, there's colonialism. There's, there's right. colonialism within so many other cultures. But mm-hmm. it's so interesting how they were able to regain their identity, their cultural mm-hmm. identity. Mm-hmm. Chinese people still embrace Chinese identity. Japanese people mm-hmm. still embrace Japanese identity. Indian people mm-hmm. have their own identity, and that's what they embrace. But then mm-hmm. everyone else, we we want some of everyone's because <laughs> sometimes we're not comfortable yeah. enough in our own. Exactly. And I think, like, I mean, that's the thing with anti-blackness is this hi- hierarchy of race and the way that we are racialized. It really reflected that everywhere. It's like what Andre 3000 says, you know, why is it that everywhere in the world people with the darkest skin suffers the most, right? And I think that's Mm. such a profound statement because it's not just people with the darkest skin because there's mad dark-skinned people in India, bruv. Like, fam, you know what? Even just a slight tangent. I went to India. I saw a man darker than me who was shook of me, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm like, bro... (laughs) We are both yeah. like, okay, I understand you're not racially black, but you are dark as me, bro. Why are you scared of me? <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? And then when a white guy comes along, suddenly they're mm. like, ah, oh, they're running to them. And I'm like, ah. So it's the, 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 the impacts of and legacies of white supremacy, you know, that people with the darkest skin, um, you know, were placed at the bottom of the racial hierarchy, but also people who had specific Af Afrocentric features. Do you know what I mean? And there were certain stigmas associated with having mm-hmm. those features, whether it's genetic features or phenotypes and so forth. And when we look at like sexualization, when we look at aggression, when we look at all those things, those are legacies of slavery and colonialism. And so I always say, like, in the decisions and the choices that you're making, are you reinforcing anti-blackness? Are you reinforcing legacies of slavery and colonialism? Or are you moving away from it? And you know. We don't live in absolutes. It's a nuanced conversation. Like I'm wearing, I'm wearing, a, I'm, I'm living here, I'm wearing a jumper or whatever, you know, I'm speaking in English. Cool, there's certain things, you know, I'm working here, there's certain things that we just have to accept that we can't change it all at once. But like, what are we working towards at least? What are we aware of? And I feel like so much of the times we're not really kind of like aware of a lot of stuff, man. You know? mm. 
I've loved this conversation, man. It's been so, Bro, so good. I feel I, like we could talk we could talk about honestly, it so much. I appreciate you, man. I haven't <laughs> had this energy for a while, like, so yeah, man. It's been fun. <laughs> no, it's been great. I, I'm I'm so grateful for you coming on, man. It's been really good. Nah, so I guess, okay, before we go, maybe you could tell people, I know you've just written Mask Off, that's being republished in so many different languages. What's mm. coming up next for you? What are you working on at the moment? And then where can people find you? Um, so where can people find me? I am uh, JJ underscore Bola or JJBola.com across like the interwebs. <laughs> and um, I, in terms of what I'm working on next, um, so I've got a second novel. So my second novel is being published in in October. Um, it's coming out in the UK, US, and Brazil. Um, and it's about a young black man who makes the decision to um, take his life savings and then and blow it all. And then at the end of it, he's gonna end his life. So it kind of like explores that journey of existentialism, mental health mm. and materialism and all of that. Um, yeah, so that's my next, that's my, yeah, that's the next thing that's coming up. So hopefully I'll get be able to share that soon. Yeah, I appreciate you, man. And thank you. Thank you for having me, man. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please do stay tuned for more. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. It really helps the podcast. And follow me on Twitter. Feel free to shoot me any thoughts. See you next time.